0: This is Jamie Dyer welcoming you to another edition of The Quocast and I'm joined by somebody who is extremely well known in the Quo community. He's been literally everywhere, must have loads of stories of which some of which we're going to find out right now. Welcome Aiden Johnson to the podcast. Tell me, how did you get into Status Quo?
1: Well, oh, where do we start? Um, there were in my sort of my music History, myself, growing up, there were two sort of key moments which I feel changed my life, um, started with a corny phrase. Um, the first one was hearing Don't Stop Me Now on Radio 2. It was on a um, Thursday afternoon. Steve Wright in the afternoon, um, he played Don't Stop Me Now. Um, so straight away, I was into Queen. Like every household, my parents had the Queen Greatest Hits CD box set thing. So I fell in love with that. That was when I was about eight years old. And then a year later, I sort of knew I loved music and loved older music. Um, then about a year later, I was I used to get all the free CDs that used to come with the, the Sunday newspapers. Um, and there'd always be various compilations of often it was the same tracks, but sort of just you know, just yeah, with different titles and whatever. Um, and yeah, there was one called Rockin' All Over the World, it wasn't a Quo CD, um, it was just a, a compilation of various rock songs. Um, but the opening track was "Rocking All Over the World. Um, I would love to say it was another Quo song that got me into Quo, but it, it wasn't. It was that song. It was hearing that, and then I loved it. And, yeah, that that was that. I can't remember what happened. Now. I feel like we went, we found the Quo compilation. I think it was, like, the Essential Quo. Probably got up there. Found the Quo, yeah, the Essential Quo sort of three-CD packet thing in Sainsbury's I think it was I can remember a lot of these weird details um and then that was that really um but yeah I heard Rockin' Over The World and fell in love with it um and then yeah sort of enjoyed everything Quo I heard since so it was yeah it was that song that got me into Quo and not even by searching it just by chance and then yeah that that's that was sort of the start of my journey with Quo I, I had no idea where it would sort of take me um in life um and up to now yeah that would have been that was 2007 uh when I was nine years old um and yeah so yeah fairly long time ago probably not quite as long ago as many other Quo fans but still uh, yeah it's been a good chunk of my life it's yeah since I was nine years old I've I've been a fan you know I've been in awe of near enough everything Quo have done I've collected everything you know I've seen them on most tours you know i've been real into them from the word go
0: i know the feeling yeah i know the (laughs) feeling um i wouldn't imagine you're the first person to have got into them from that song Uh, i think once you become a fan and you discover all these other things i think that's when you say well that's the one that got me into it but it's not my favorite
1: yeah to an extent to an extent i'm probably i mean i joke about you know i wish i'd got into Quo via another song but in actual fact i'm not i'm not ashamed to say that probably is in my top five favorite quo songs out of you know every cd i've, I've got you know every, every quo album that i i know them all relatively well i like to think um you know and my other phase favorites would be jam side down or high flyer like yeah you know, some album tracks or rarer singles whatever but Rocking Over the World, especially live versions, um, I I still love it. I I think it's a great song. I'm 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 annoyed Quo didn't write it because I'd love you know I'd love for it to have been a, a real Quo song. But uh, yeah, that minor detail aside, no, Rocking Over the World you know, still is one of my favorite Quo songs. I love hearing it live. I love it when Andy's organs come in and it builds up. It builds and builds and yeah, it's real great. So. Yeah, and I'm not ashamed to say that many Quo fans, especially back in the 70s, would have you yeah, may have been a bit ashamed to say, yo, that we love this song because I guess it was a change for the band at the time. But no, I love it, I love it.
0: When would you have seen the band live for the first time?
1: Uh, 2008, um, so sort of the year after I became a fan, um, the year I sort of got into them, they were playing over Westonburg Arboretum, which is very close to me, um, in Wiltshire. Wiltshire but it was a sort of all standing field gig I think my parents thought you know at the age of nine or ten whatever that may not have been enjoyable because I was quite short as a child I didn't really grow up until I was about 14 15 um so they thought you know that wouldn't have been a great gig I wouldn't be able to see a lot etc so waited till they did the winter tour following year and yeah we went to the Colston Hall my mum took me down it was a Tuesday night Tuesday Wednesday I think quoted in two nights and it was the second night because what i found funny is when when francis said um in his opening talk he said anyone here last night and half the venue said yep because that was back in the day when quoted two nights at all these little venues and people would go to both nights but yeah so that was yeah october 2008 um pictures talk yeah pictures talks i've got the program and i also got all the pictures box set that was quite a, a good release you know i know it's just a compilation but it was quite a nice. It was a nice time to be a Quo fan, I think, because I like that. I've always yeah loved that lineup with Matt Letley on drums. Yeah, they were they were really rocking at that time. The pictures thing got massive, sort of yeah, exposure across all the press and media. You know, it's a, it was it was an enjoyable time to be a Quo fan, seeing Quo you know do really well and have this massive pictures tour, which you know sold really well um, by all accounts. Um, yeah, I just remember being blown away that you know, if, as if I didn't like them enough already, I adored them even more after that first gig.
0: Well, they were really on a roll at that point in time. The Pictures yeah. Tour had a lot of songs in it, I think, that hadn't been played for a long time. I mm. feel like Is There a Better Way was in there. Um, we had things like Ice in the Sun, which they hadn't played since like the late 60s. Mean Girl and Soft Softer Ride. Mean Girl and Soft Ride, exactly. Uh, how long do you think it took you as a fan to kind of understand all these kind of quote eras? Because you say you're, you are of the era of, of Matt Letley on the drums. Me too. Um, how long before you started to um, understand all the eras?
1: Oh, that's a very good question. Not for a while, um, you know, because I did grow up with that era of quote, you know, and I obviously I had the internet back then, but I wasn't so sort of, intrigued in searching everything up like I bought the program from that tour and that program has a bio in each of the five members so you know I knew the name of those five if you were to ask me you know who who Jeff Rich or probably John Coghlan or Alan Lancaster for that time I probably wouldn't have known unless I'd seen it on like the sleeve notes of one of the CDs you know their writing credit I you know I it it didn't really Obviously, I wasn't really at all aware, much aware of Quo's history to start with. I didn't know how big they were in the 70s um, or anything. I'm not quite sure how I then found out about everything. But I've always, certainly from an age, certainly by the time I was in, in secondary school from about 2009, 2010, that's when I really started to get into music history. And I'm a bit of a music nerd, not just Quo, but several other bands, Yeah, the Beatles, the Stones, Rod and the Faces and Elton. So, you know, I just love music history and music culture. So, I've got, you know, masses of books there and magazines and things that I just, you know, enjoyed reading throughout my teenage years. And of course, Quo, you know, they, that was always an interest as well. But yeah, I don't know, you just sort of pick it up. But it's a bit like, You know, when I'm talking about it to my parents, they they think, how do you learn all of this? But same if I was to talk to my dad about football, not that I do because I know diddly squat about football. But, you know, he could tell you, you know, who was who was playing for what X team in the 80s. You know, if you'd, you know, he, he just knows all of that because you just sort of go, you just pick it up. It's just things you pick up. And I guess that's I've just picked up stuff over the years, but I've always had an interest in it. And yeah, you become aware of all the different eras of Quo. And that's, again, why I've, as time's gone on, I've loved them even more because I've learned how fascinating a career they've had. They haven't taken a 10-year hiatus like other bands. Like, they've always been active, really. You know, they ha- I know they had the sort of the breakup and end of the road, but after the End of the Road, they released The Wanderer. And then from that coming out in late 84, it wasn't that much time before they played Live Aid. Then three months after Live Aid, they were back in the studio recording in the army now. So they, they've never really had much of a hiatus. There's so many different parts of their career, but it's all continuous. There's never been like a stop. There's never been like, you know, a, a blank period. And even though they may have had, you know, they lost their way, to quote Francis, in the sort of mid to late 90s, they were still doing stuff. They were still active. There's still so many interesting things about that their career, which you know, I, I for one enjoy learning. I'm still learning now all the time. I'm understanding all the different parts of their history and finding old press articles. Um you know just understanding everything they did, which I find I find fascinating. I'm yeah, I'm a bit nerdy about Crow, but it, it's great. They've got the most interesting career of any
0: band. I mean, I, I present a status quo fan podcast. I agree with you <laughs> on that, obviously. Um, you have quite a big history with organising quo-based events, um, playing with quo-based people. When was your first time and how did you get into doing it regularly?
1: I suppose when I really you know got into them and you know, it was sort of around the stage when social media started to you know sort of really explode sort of you know in 2010 and sort of naturally you know i you know, i was just you know, sort of in awe of quo i wanted to join all the groups that were in existence and you soon sort of just you know get to know people and you know see who's about and whatever and I don't really quite know how it started. So I used to go and see John Copeland's Quo in Swindon. We're just outside Swindon at the Riffs Bar. They used to play there about twice a year. Um, I think I first saw them 2011, 2012. I got a photo of me and John um, one year, then a photo of me and John the next. And that was obviously when I was going going through peak adolescence, let's say, because, um, yeah, there's a, I, I shoot up. I think the first time I'm shorter than John the second time I'm much taller than him. Um, Yeah. John Coghlan's quote. I invited, I'm not quite sure why as such, but I invited John to my school because I used to help sort of run, volunteer the school radio station, just a lunchtime thing. I was part of the radio club. Um, Yeah. Because I enjoyed that. I enjoyed music and talking as you can tell. And um, yeah, I just got to know John and Jilly. He came and did that. And then, we sort of said about him, because we, we put on a gig for him, so sort of me and my school band, we played a handful of Quo songs. And then it was sort of said, John, you should come here with your band and play, you know, come back with JCQ. Long story short, that happened that summer in the July, not long after, you know, John had ended the Frantic Four tour. So he was sort of on a high at that point. And of course, after yeah, the, the second Frantic Four tour. Um, so I did that with him. Then somehow I... I can't remember what happens next in the story. So I think after I put on that first gig with John, I then wanted to put on something else, like a little a, a mini quo day sort of thing. Just have, you know, two or three quo bands on. And one of the bands that I thought that I would sort of like, really like to get was Rhino's band, which at the time were actually called Woodeds. That was sort of the his band that he had around that time. So I inquired with Mike Carano, who was Rhino's manager, um, about getting woodheads for this little Quo thing I was putting on in London. And a couple of the Quo's should be banned, State of Quo. Long story short, that turned sort of, it, it soon evolved after it was booked so that, you know, Rhino would be releasing his second solo album. Um, you know, and Mike said, yeah, we'd be happy for you to build, build this gig, advertise it as Rhino's second album launch party. Um, so that sort of, what the event then turned into as opposed to sort of a, yeah, like a quote date, it, it was a a Rhino's Revenge gig um, yeah, with State of Quo as the opening act. Um, so we had that at the 100 Club in London. That sold out. Mike was booking sort of the rest of a UK and Europe tour for Rhino at the time. And I sort of just helped out with a bit of social media and promotion. And, you know, I wasn't the promoter in the sense I booked the venues apart from the London gig, but I just helped out with a few other bits I you know it was just I was just involved somehow yeah I spoke to Mike regularly then there was sort of talk of doing more gigs um, but that didn't you know all come off for various reasons so yeah I had that brief since sort of promoting Reiner and working with him and then I worked a little bit with Yvonne on the first convention in 2015 I can't remember how I got involved with that or what how I I, d- I can't really remember how I first met Yvonne got involved with that but yeah so I again I helped do yeah a bit of the social stuff and uh, you know marketing sort of stuff that's what I was interested in I was at music college at the time um so I I studied music business so I had quite an interest in promoting and sort of the the operation of music events but sort of after that I edged more into you know um marketing commercial things that's what I do now for work so I sort of moved into that, you know, as an actual job and sort of once I'd left college, yeah, you know, the promoting thing, it, it was, it was good to do. I enjoyed doing it, especially with Rhino and you know, a couple of advisory bands, but you know, I'm at the time I was quite young. I didn't have my business head screwed on. I, you know, it's it was all, oh, I, I probably sort of rushed into it, went a bit big too soon and whatever, but you know, I, I, I have no regrets about anything, but um, yeah, it, it, I just thought it. I didn't want to consistently be a promoter. But anyway, that's I moved on, started work, had a job and all that. And I guess next is McVention, which has been running for a long time anyway. Jay took it over, I can't remember when, 2015, 16. And again, I sort of hopped on board with him, just helping do a bit of the social, doing some email campaigns, just a few of the bits like that. Um, I couldn't go up that year because it's when i decided my first job. Um, so that's 2016. So I couldn't go up for that. Anyway, that will happen. I didn't really work on anything quo related then for a couple of years again when McVention 2018 happened. Um, and that I did actually go up to Scotland for. I had sort of the whole week I spent up there. Oh my, I had such a great time. I had such a great time. Because um, again, my involvement before the event was just sort of, I don't know, Jay's sort of I don't know, he just bounces ideas off me. I generally disagree with them and then he doesn't listen to me. That that sort of was the nature of 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 our our sort of working together. But I I, no, the actually what I did was just sort of the digital stuff, digital marketing or a bit of promotion, helping him sell the tickets, etc. I went quite a large time without doing anything quo related because when I first started working in the summer of 2016, I was sort of busy with my job and I was working six days a week and I sort of you yeah, know just after I'd left music college, I'd lost interest in the promotion. I just sort of wanted to focus on work, have a career. Then when Rick died later that year, even then initially I'd kind of thought oh that that's sort of the end of the quo thing for me I was I was one of those to start with. I thought oh, I put that to bed it was it was a great time. I still got all the music i can listen to anyway, but you know I don't you know need to go and see them or do stuff or whatever anyway. Yeah, McVenture in two thousand eighteen. That that sort of changed it again for me because oh, it was just such a great weekend. Uh, it was really great up in Glasgow, and that's yeah, kind of what got me well, well and truly back into Quo. Yeah, the status quo of the current lineup, but also all the tribute bands and being sort of on the scene. Dare I use that term? Then yeah, since then I've worked on a few other events and things, but yeah, I've just enjoyed being being part of the Quo family. Um, yeah
0: and you are a recognizable face um certainly if i hadn't heard of you before um the convention last year i certainly would have afterwards because (laughs) you performed on stage like two or three times with several different bands um it's it's interesting i mean how how did um how did you come to you know sit on the drums with a band
1: so well, I did a few gigs with John Colton Square last year. So like I said, I promoted them back in 2014 at my school hall. Um, so, that, yeah, I sort of knew John and Jilly. I knew Mick, Mick Hughes, um, who I love. He's fantastic. and um, So I've sort of known him sporadically and seen him at gigs you know, over the years. And, of course, after the pandemic, they sort of relaunched the format of JCQ for his, his you know, the farewell tour. Um, yeah, which involved having Russ on drums for some of the set and John on drums and the acoustic set and whatever. But there were a few of the gigs they had sort of come in that Russ couldn't do because he's, you know, he's a drum, he's a technician, he, you know, he's he got various other things on anyway. Um, so Mick sort of rung me up out of the blue early last year and just said, you know, we've got these three gigs. Would you like to, um, you know, stand in, stand in for us, standing in for John <laughs> sort of thing? And yeah, I didn't have to think about it. I said, yes, of course, I'd you know love to be doing that. Um, so yeah, I did the three gigs with them. That was great. Then at the convention, I was up on stage with the piano. Cause actually at the gig in my school hall in 2014, I played keys with them then, um, on Matchstick Men and um Rock Over the World. So yeah, I did the same at yeah, at the convention last year because Mick asked me to. Um and of course, yeah, why not? I'd love to play the finale number with John Coughlin's Crow at their last ever gig. Of course, you know, it's, it's a, it's an honor. And then also with big fat mama who some and Jay got them over from McVenture year before last, um, just you know, sort of right. It was very hit and miss whether it happened because it was still just at the end of COVID and, Scotland had different restrictions to England. And then of course they're from yeah, mainland Europe from Sweden. So it's all these different you know, restrictions and it was quite hard to get them over. We got them over. They put on a awesome show. Um, really, really good. Now I think, ah, so I was actually, yeah, John Coggins Quo were playing the following night in McVenture. And I got up on keys with them then for Rock and Over the World, big fat mama saw, and then somewhere along the line, um, Johan asked me if I'd be interested in playing with Big Fat Mama at Butlins last year, which I did. Things just come together, you know. Um, when you're sort of on the scene, I'm just I'm very um I want to use a more, more interesting word than social, but like I'm always happy to talk to people, get to know people, stay in touch with people, you know, and, and if people ever ask me, I never I've never begged to do something, I've never begged, you know, ah, oh, please can I come up and play piano with you? Yeah, i've never done that i've i'm just i keep in touch with people and obviously i put some videos up online of me playing here in my studio at home but you know i've just been very fortunate to be within this within i'll use the term again the quo family um yeah and certain opportunities have arisen, and it's always great fun why wouldn't i you know I, I play music a lot in various bands but i you know not it's not all quo like i do all sorts of music half of which i couldn't give less of a shit about really because you know it's all the all the weddings I play and or you know to drunk people doing Mr Brightside like, I don't care about that but any chance as a musician any chance to play Quo it, you know, it's an honor especially with such great bands like John Colgan's Quo and Big Fat Mama um, yeah it's great.
0: And now we come to Break the Rules of course which is your tribute band that you started with what some Quo fans would call the young contingent, um, which is it's quite amazing, actually, because um, when I went to the convention last year, there are people there that are like 5, 10 years younger than me. I'm 33. And I felt old um, compared to a lot of these people that are really like established musicians. And a group of you have got together and created this band called Great, Break the Rules. Um, fantastic.
1: Thank you. Yeah. it's 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 nice. Sort of the, you know, so the other great thing about quo before I get into break the rules is you know, the, the friends that I've made through it and the sort of the, yeah, you know, the community of fans. So Jay, I think was actually one of the first young quo fans that I met not in person, but online. We used to talk all the time. I can't remember when we actually first met in person. I don't know if it was around the frantic four gigs. We'd already been talking a couple of years. And we were actually born two days apart. So he was born on the 9th of May, 98. I was born on the 11th of May, 98. So I've given away our dates of birth. He won't mind. So I've just built up so many more friends, mainly through social media. Um, and then we've met at gigs, not necessarily gone to gigs together, but just met up at gigs. Um, you know, also Adam B. I've been to loads of Crow gigs with. He's sort of my, my road trip buddy. And then, yeah, I got to know Dan, Dan Loveridge and Lewis. Lewis is just everywhere. Again, I can't remember where I first met him, probably at a Quo gig five or six years ago, maybe, I think 2018. Um, yeah, so we sort of all knew of each other. And then Dan asked me to to be a drummer for a gig. So he's, he's got a covers band called, sort of had a covers band called Lock the Doors. They were asked to do sort of a private gig, a birthday event. Um, he wanted me to be the drummer. Um, and I said, yeah, why not? I'd like to because I'd always seen his videos. I'd always admired him as a musician. Um, and I thought oh, I'd be nice to play with him, and you know, we might do a couple of Quo songs or whatever. And we went to the rehearsal rooms and to so the other guitarist, the the sort of the the Rick guitarist. Let's say, um, Ryan is Dan's best mate from school. Um, Ryan, I had met before, but only very briefly. He's not, he's a huge Crow fan, but he's not quite as active, you know, on all the social platforms as I am. So. I didn't sort of know him. But anyway, we we went in with a list of songs, you know, with you know, some Robbie Williams and Killers and Brian Adams and one quo song. And then we ended up spending three hours jamming out quo. Um, so yeah, we got nothing prepared for for the private party we were booked for, but we just jammed out quo. And because they again both great guitarists and they know know quo's back catalog, you know, really well. They they can sort of just play it or. Not, not make it up, but they know it. Yeah, they, they used to sit, um, you know, sit in the music room at school playing those songs together when they were sort of 13, 14 years old on guitar. Um, so it was great just to jam with them because the, by, at this point, I, I'd i guested with Heavy Traffic once. I got up and played two or three songs with them, three songs um in an encore gig in Bristol. But besides from that, I'd never played much Quo on drums. In my main band, my function band, We've only ever played "Rocking All Over the World," but to play to play it with two guitarists who really know it and get it, it, it felt good. It felt good. So then we we knew Lewis was a bassist, a very good bassist, um, and a big Quo fan. So we kind of we I think we sort of. I don't know whether we asked him because we wanted a Quo bassist. I mean, we did need a bassist for the sort of this Lock the Doors band anyway, for the generic covers band. But I think Lewis was sort of more appealing because he was a Quo fan. And we thought, oh, well, you know, he, he may be able to come along and, you know, sort of add some bass to our Quo jam next time. So we asked him along. Um, and of course, yeah, he 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 gets it. He's... You know he's a really good bassist. He's got he's got the same groove in his right hand as Alan Lancaster. You know he gets that as a bassist. He doesn't just play the notes. And again, a lot of the time he hasn't he he knows the music. He the songs he's been listening to. You know for for yeah since he was you know a young lad like the rest of us. So so it kind of just accidentally fell into place. We did of course rehearse for this other private party that we had and did all our you know cover songs, but. We, you know, we spent a lot of time jamming out quo. And then I think it was, I want to say it was Dan really, who thought, you know, we could this is you know gig worthy. This is giggable. I like that word, giggable. Um, so he suggested about, you know, let's I we should do something. And of course I was well on board. Like, yeah, being being a Quo tribute. Like, and it was it wasn't just gonna be in a quote, like. By this point, we'd had a few jam sessions, we had been on, you know, to a few quo gigs together on the Out Out Quoing tour. We'd you know, we'd spent a lot of time together just becoming really good mates. So I think that with the combination of we all love quo and we're all, you know, we all enjoy playing together, it it felt it felt like a great idea. Um so yeah, we did that and then we had our first gig back in March, um, which went pretty well i do believe um and we loved it and yeah we're, we're going to do a few more yeah we've got a couple more in this year we we will have we'll have a few next year um and yeah we're just we're all in other bands we all do other things as musicians so it's for us it's it's just a side project but it's something we care about that's not to say we're ever going to go out and do a gig yeah half-assed or unrehearsed like you know we're 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 putting the hours into the rehearsing for whatever gigs we do have. Um, But, yeah, we love it. I I really love it, actually. I really enjoy it. I wouldn't want to be doing it with any other people than those three. Um, Yeah, because we we do genuinely click as people and as musicians. Um, Dan's a great frontman. I've played with quite a lot. I've stood in with a lot of different function bands, and he's a really great frontman. He's got this, this sort of driving guitar, which really... He starts something, yeah. You know, often the first song we do is just "Spinning Wheel Blues," and he starts that, da, 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 and then he, yeah, you know, when he gets the solo in, that really drives me along. Um, so I like having him there. Ryan is—he's yeah, superb musician. So he just gets music. He's—he's he's great at harmonies. He's great at yeah. He speaks a very good musical language. Um, that's yeah. That's how I see him. And then Lewis. Yeah, he's just he's just got the energy, the way how he ban- bounces around physically, and he's got the groove in his bass, and it really does click. And I like to make that clear: we're not just four musicians who happen to like Quo and can all play Quo. We, you know, although I don't, other, yeah, that may make for an okay band, but the four of us genuinely do click, and you know, we're all yeah really good friends. And yeah, I love those guys, and I like being on a stage with people like that. It is special, so. Yeah, it's all worked out quite well. I've spoke a long time there on a band that have only
0: played one gig. <laughs> We've got a short history.
1: Yeah, I've managed to talk for about five minutes on one topic.
0: <laughs> it shows you're passionate about it. Yes,
1: I like that. Uh, I'll go with that. I'll run with that.
0: I looked down the set list for it, and it was a real, like, eclectic mix. And I, I wondered, actually, like, how did you go about deciding... Because obviously, you know, given your ages, you may favor the later, you know, band set list. I know a lot of bands go for like the just doing it era of of Quo in their set list. But you had literally everything in there.
1: Yeah, well, we, we never wanted to be you know, just too frantic for or just too, mon- you Yeah, know, we never sort of set ourselves to sound like a certain era. Because, you know, even when I play song, some songs, I play like John. Um, some songs I play like Matt. And a couple of songs like Little Lady, I play like Jeff, you know, because I've watched so many videos and listened to them all so many times. So we don't try and sound like one specific era. And then when it came to set lists, like we knew we, we haven't got a name for ourselves as a Crow tribute where we could go out and just play, you know, rare, rare songs, album tracks. We knew we had to do all the hits. So all the hits are in there. Not all of them, but there are a lot of hits in there somewhere. So sort of once you've laid out that and we, if we're going to do two one hour sets or one hour, then an hour and 10 or long or whatever, like we sort of knew how many gaps we had. And then we, I think before we decided the set list, we'd already jammed out a lot of songs anyway. Like, you know, we, we used to jam out things like my little heartbreaker from in search of the fourth chord. Like, yeah, you know, cause that's just a song that we know we just jammed out. That was never to say that we were going to play it live, but yeah, we just jammed out a lot of songs and i think it was just important that we got a mix across the eras really um uh, you know i don't want to take credit for it sorry dan ryan lewis i put together the bulk of the set list simply because i've seen a lot of other quote tribute bands i know what everyone does i know what songs go down well i know what bands do well what they don't do so well i knew what we'd be able to do well i knew what other Quo fans may go away saying to their Quo friends, oh, they break the rules. They did a really great version of, I don't know, all stand up, you know, because not loads of bands do that, or I can't remember what else we did that was a bit niche, but whatever it may have been. So I just wanted to give it like all we really want to do. Not, I I don't think I've ever heard a band do that. So I really wanted to do that. And I think we did it quite well, but that's what I've always liked about heavy traffic as well, because I've, Heard them do so many, you know, these great songs that no other band would ever think of doing. Um, Like Thinking of You and 20 Wild Horses. And for me, that's why I walk away from a gig. Oh, Heavy Traffic, they played a great version of Thinking of You. Because if no other yeah. band are doing it and that gets you talking, then I'm telling everyone that. Now, to a lot of the older Quo fans, a Quo should be doing a great version of Thinking of You or, or you really want to do. That, that doesn't necessarily mean a lot, but I don't know. So yeah in short we had to have the hits in there we wanted to have all eras and we also wanted to have a little bit of a talking point or just something that we might have done differently or that we really thought we could give a great edge to that wasn't already being done on the quo scene but that's very hard because you've already got such a wide range of great bands around so yeah
0: i mean this is gonna sound weird but you've got a bula quo poster behind Mm. you Yes. Do you knock out your version of Fiji time at any point during <laughs> oh, any viewhouse?
1: We've we've joked about I put I had a message from Reese um from Heavy Traffic, always talking anyway. And he was asking about this is before the Break the Rules gig, and he's asking about our setlist, And I, I was just sent through a set list just as a laugh, like Fiji time, looking out for Caroline, that's gonna be like dreaming, Margarita time and Address book and I just sort of wrote yeah well, these are the great rocking songs we're gonna do just to the laugh. Um no we've never jammed out anything from Bulloquo. No I've only got that poster I got given it by Stuart the director, Stuart St. Paul and it's signed by um Rick Francis, Laura Um Aikman. Um yeah. That's the only why I've got it up. It's not because I'm a you know massive fan, but I do like that album to an extent. All right, it may not be the perfect album for Quo, but I like the production. I think that is Mike Paxman's best work. He did a great job on Quid Pro Quo, but I don't dislike the Bullock Quo album. But no, the none of the songs are really hits, so or none of them would go well in front of a Quo crowd. So unless we really enjoyed playing them, we're never really going to add them in, are we? That's that's the truth. Wow. We'd like to maybe give Go 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 the go. But yeah. <laughs>
0: well, we'll looking out for Caroline, Quo kinda of jumped the shark with that one. So we we can move swiftly on. What what did you think of the acoustic stuff?
1: Um first album I loved, second album I hated, um despised. Um I, I Oh there, there. you've got me side on a rant now. No, the first album <laughs> I really liked. Um I thought it was a good idea. I thought you know, Quo were very contrasting. You know, they did the first Frantic Four tour 2013. They went and did Bula Quo. Talk about different. Talking about, you know, flipping the coin. And then to the next year, they you know, did the second Frantic Four tour. And then they did the acoustic album. Again, diverse, different. You know, that they're keeping us on our toes, whether we like it or not. At least they're doing something different to an extent um yeah first across the album i thought was really good i was at the roundhouse gig um the radio 2 gig which was great because i've always been a bit of a tv and radio nerd so just seeing all the cameras set up and seeing joe wiley and um jeff smith and the bbc was doing his intro and it was all just yeah it it was great but it was a real great gig the atmosphere was great and it was i'm glad that it was on dvd um cd um then yeah, the second album, I don't know what went wrong for them. Um, they you know, oh, I just, I think, I don't know what Mike Paxman was doing. It sounds awful, it sounds awful. I don't want to be mean to him because he's always been great at producing Quo, but I don't know what he did to the drums and just to everything, the vocals. Um, I know Francis has made comments about, you know, the state of Rick's vocals, you know, for, you know, which I won't go into those reasons, but no, I just didn't like the second album, the song choices, the arrangements, the, the sound, the none of the vocals sounded that good, to be honest. Um, and it was, it was just a bit of a flop. And I remember even Chris Evans on Radio 2, he didn't like it either. And he is a Quo fan. He's always been quite nice about Quo. Um, even he was laughing about it and that hurts. I do not like it when people, they were, it was the, I think the hold you back from the second album yeah. that was released as the single with and, the
0: Christmas bells on it.
1: Yeah. With the Christmas bells. Right. Then Chris Evans went on a massive rant about how can you call something a Christmas song? If you just call it Christmas bell. Yeah. If you just put bells on it. And he was also on about um, sort of, oh, I not even a good arrangement anyway, you know? And then he, he was, he had a bit, he had a bit of a dig at Quo, which I don't like hearing because he's a Quo fan. Like, There's nothing better when people are, and to be fair, since Chris does go on, he does have Quo mornings on Virgin Radio sometimes we'll hear play Quo for half an hour, which is quite, yeah, which is good, but he is a Quo fan. He's not anti-Quo, but if even him and the travel presenter and the sports chap think that this is all a bit crap, that's not nice to hear, but I did agree with them. (laughs) That's the truth.
0: Well, it's a bit up and down sometimes uh, with those releases. And certainly in the in the 2010s, there were so many releases. You, you're absolutely right. Frantic 4 followed by Bula Quo. I mean, I, I always, I can't help but listen to the song Bula Quo and that line, I came here to this island and I always, it, it's something like talking about another show or something. And I always change it to um, talking about Hammersmith because, you know, frantic four previous and then obviously the second one like you say followed by a then another acoustic. i actually thought the second one was better more creative okay um much. but that's a that's to balance it up slightly um yeah. and then a couple of years later after um rick passed away we had his solo album which was was a masterpiece really yeah. in my opinion anyway
1: yeah oh 100 percent um you know, and again, it sort of took us by surprise because we never, there were so many rumours, you know, and there's there's always a lot of Quo fans online who, who think they know it all. And some were saying, oh no, nothing was ever recorded. You know, Rick just wrote some songs. Other people were saying, oh, we just did demos. Other people were saying, oh yeah, he did a whole album. You know, so they were, we sort of, we didn't expect anything. I don't know, until the announcement was made by Ear Music and that press release come out about, Years, pre-orders and release of the album. Like I didn't think it was going to be happening to be honest. Um, and I don't think Rick Junior had made like a, yeah, a specific statement saying we're working on Dad's new album. Not until the announcement was made anyway. But when it came out, I really liked it. I really liked it. It was, you know, it it it, it sounded a lot like Quo. Of course, it was only you know Rick on it from Quo. Well, I think Rhino contributed a little bit um, on a couple of the tracks, perhaps. But yeah. it's, it, you know, it felt like a Quo album. But it, it had the balance of everything. It wasn't just, you know, I love Quid Pro Quo, but perhaps it is a little bit all to the same fast tempo, rocky sort of thing. It hasn't got the balance. Whereas Over and Out encompasses everything that a Quo album should or has done, you know, in the past. Um, it's sort of, you know, got the country-esque songs. It's, of course, got the, you know, the Rick's classic sort of, you know, heavy playing style, um it's got a yeah, slightly more ballady kind of song yeah it's got sort of your light-hearted shuffly ding, da, da, ding, sort of uh, everybody knows how to fly I think that song is what I'm thinking of it's just got a bit of everything on but no I really liked it and the production was great um Joe Webb did a really good job um yeah I think it was just how Quo should have sounded in this day and I would love you know for Joe Webb to produce Backbone really but um anyway that's a, another matter
0: I think that that's yeah divides people. I think I, I've heard comments about the drums. In fact, I feel like I asked Andy Brook about the drums, and and uh, you you can go and listen to the podcast with him to find his answer. Uh, but uh, you you are right. That was a bolt out of the blue. Had no idea he re- he'd recorded nine songs at least because Halloween was. Um, just a remix, I think, of of the nineteen eighty five yeah. session that he did. Yeah. Do you think that his first solo album or the unreleased one uh, will ever see the light of day in any form?
1: No, so there, there, there's not really much on there that we haven't already heard because a lot of it was all B sides for Quo. I think I'm right in saying I don't know. It's not none of them were songs that stand out, but I like um don't give it
0: up. Don't give it up. up.
1: The brass Don't sounds. give
0: it up. Exactly.
1: Yeah, I like that song. But um, I think a lot of it was, you know, was sort of, all, has, has already been out there. Um, as crow B-sides. Um, then Without You was a song that was recorded for recorded delivery, wasn't it? It was called something yes. different. But yeah, I'm, I'm not too, I feel like, you know, that if the album wouldn't sound enough like how Vic would have wanted it to, You know, let's be honest, he was recording the album at a time when it was probably a bit lost. It was probably a bit sort of trying to, I want to be really 80s. I want to try and, you know, I want to try and be back in the charts amongst whoever else, you know, who he was sort of out in the clubs in London with. Then he sort of wanted to do sort of something poppy, but still rocky, a bit Def leppard mixed with, New romantic. I think that's that's sort of the vibe I get from what I've heard from Matt then. And no, I, I don't think it would be good for his legacy if that were to come out now. Not saying, you know, write it off because it's part of his history. I'm never, you know, a fan of yeah you know, sort of, yeah, let's just forget about that. No, it's it's part of, you know, their history or Crow's history or whatever it may be. But um no, I don't think there's any need to see some sort of, you know, 40th anniversary edition of recorded delivery. The album that never was thank god
0: <laughs> well there's a couple of songs on there that never saw the light of day on any releases uh show me the way and there is another one i think it's only love can break your heart i, I feel is the title of that one um earlier you make reference to different drumming styles can you elaborate mm-hmm. the difference between the different drumming styles of the different quo drummers.
1: Yeah, I can try. Um obviously, you know, John, as far as we're concerned, you know, he played on the majority of the hits. He was part of Quo 70's sound. Um, you know, and he always will be the original quo drummer. Um he, you know, he was very good at the shuffle and the force to the floor, which he played on not just the shuffle songs, but also a lot of the straight songs. It was all four to the floor. Um, so, like Caroline, four to the floor, boom, boom, all the way through. So when we, when I play that with Break the Rules, um I play it four to the floor. Next weekend, I'm playing with the Quo Experience, Caroline. I'll play that like Matt, because they, you know, are obviously a tribute to sort of the Matt. They they had Matt Letley play with them for a while um, a few years back. So you know, I will play it like that. So it won't be four to the floor. It'll be boom, boom, boom 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 because that's how matt used to play it and it fits that sort of style as well it's slightly probably a bit faster a bit smoother not quite as in your face a little bit more reined in but that's how that's how matt played It's not to say he lacked in power um but he just he was groovy he grooved along he wasn't john's drumming is very sort of you know in your face and sort of Sturdy, you know, solid as a rock, but um, you know, not not as not as much light and shade. Yeah, Matt really when he needed to, he could sit back. When he needed to go in, he'd go in. Um that's what I love about Matt. I mean, Pete, there's not really much to say about him. He just he came in, did a job, did it very well for what he needed to do. You know, it's no easy feat. He, he was I think he was a good drummer from what I saw, but I've got no no strong feelings about him. There was obviously a lot with John's. He yeah, Pete was more of a generic sort of rock pop drummer. I think like he you know the way how he plays Quo's songs. He played them fine, but he certainly didn't have the real sturdiness that John's drumming had. Um, but Pete was still great for that period. Um, then Jeff come in, and I think yeah, he was perfect for Quo at that time. I mean, so was Ryan and Francis has said, and I'm sure Rick has in interviews, like, yeah, they gave them both the right kick up the ass. If you look at end of the road, like I know Francis and Rick are probably off the heads on whatever substances, um, but is is a bit more chill. But you look at them sort of, you know, in 86, 87 and onwards, like they, they, they're going for it because they have to because you know rhino and jeff have come in and given them this right kick up the ass with power and and tightness and yeah because rhino and jeff are two musicians who before quo had played with several other bands yeah they were professional um session musicians i guess they were or yeah professional musicians let's say um but yeah jeff incredibly powerful i think it was perfect for quo at the time especially in the studio all his drumming on record i really like um he he did what he needed to do to complement those songs the best they could be especially with some of the songs perhaps not being quo's strongest i still feel like that's never been down to just drumming you know i know jeff didn't perhaps have much input on songwriting but i think he did the job great Um, lots of people say about him in the tempo at times, perhaps a little rushed, but the way, how I see it, this is, I've, I've said this to many people before. I feel like if throughout the nineties, if he hadn't been pushing Rick and Francis as hard as he was, they would have struggled more as they got into older age, into their fifties in, in the 21st century. It's because they went their sort of entire their entire forties, um, their entire forties in the nineties, being pushed at you know 110 miles an hour by Jeff, which made them still have the power to do it. If they started to slip and slow down, sort of in the early nineties, there's no way they they would have been able to keep the pace up come 2010. So that's what I that's my sort of praise for jeff and the tempo if you're going to look at it in positive light be it that he you know he kept the the whole band even andrew as well like you know when he's got to do the the solo on paper playing the da, 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 he does that on the keyboards You've got to do it fast with jeff you know everything's got to be fast not too fast it's not too fast but i'm just saying it's that extra few bpm which i feel kept quo alive but you know if I wasn't around them. Well, I was, I was two when Jeff left. But if I was, you know, the age I am now back then and Jeff left, I don't think I would have been too gutted because I feel like by the end of the nineties, Quo had lost their edge. They'd lost their groove. Um, and then, yeah, Matt come in and, you know, he, this isn't just opinion. There are interviews online that you can read. I feel like it's the, the is it the Swedish fan club magazine that, ollie runs um they've got a couple of interviews and there's quotes in there they ask about matt um they asked rick and francis about matt and they said that they, you know matt's taking us to the next level and like they're raving about him and this was sort of heavy traffic era perhaps just before um you know and they were saying he, he really did take us to the next level which he did you look at that quo gig you know 2002 the TV performances they did for you know Heavy Traffic and you know that album promo, they're sounding great. They're sounding, you know, better than I think they better than I think they ever did. And he, again there's another interview that I watched recently where Rick said, you know, he thinks they're playing better than they ever have, and that was the late two thousands, I think. So I do think the drummers have had a lot of impact on you know on what on how Quelve have played overall.
0: Well like you say, um quo managed you know unlike other bands they just went straight through these decades and managed to reinvent themselves and it is astonishing i I don't know of many bands who've just gone straight through without taking you know a five-year break or something Mm. um why is it you think that they get absolutely trashed sometimes by music press by critics by just the general public
1: well, they were always trashed a lot back in the 70s when they were at their peak. You know, if you think, if you, you know, when Quo at their very best was supposedly sort of at their, you know, the peak of when they were probably the coolest, they were still sort of trashed for being uncool by the press back then. I mean, a lot of it, Quo never really fitted in. They were a league of their own. And I think, you know, when you look at glam, you know, like people think Quo, the only band that I would say were Quo's contemporaries little bit were the faces you know Rod Stewart in the faces I yeah people think I mean this is just my opinion of course but you know, Quo's contemporaries I wouldn't say obviously aren't the Stones or the Who or the Beatles because that was all before Quo really I know they were still going but not yeah there was that those few years older and I think different you know different music especially the Who when they evolved into doing you know Pete Townsend rock operas um totally different Glam rock, I don't see Quo the same way as I see Slade, Sweet, or Mud, or any of that. As much as I love Slade and I really like Sweet, um, I don't see Quo in that category. Queen also in their own category, but then sort of the rest of Glam rock, like sort of late year Rod After Faces, Bowie, T Rex, uh, Elton. Like, I don't feel like Quo were part of any of those tribes in the 70s. They were their own thing. And they sort of always have been. Then you get into the later 70s, obviously Quo weren't anything to do with punk or disco. The 80s, they weren't anything to do with New Romantics or New Wave or then sort of, the emergence of your heavier rock where ACDC or um, I made a Metallica, Ozzy Osbourne or sort of the more commercialised American rock, your Def Leppard, a British band, but they're kind of very American, let's say, and um, Guns N' Roses, Bon Jovi, you know, Aerosmith. Quo have never fitted into any of these slots with any other band, I don't think. They've always been very individual. Um, there's never been a state, and even in the modern age, there's never ever been, like, the only band who I would say in the last 20 years that are sort of potentially similar to Quo and McFly because they sort of have, you know, that, they I don't know, they just have these good sort of pop rock songs they are sort of a, a rock band live maybe a bit pop more poppy on record but they're sort of just a good feel good band You they're not going to change the earth with their songs but they just go out and they gig they give people a good time i feel like mcfly's ethos is you know similar to crows in that respect but no i mean Quo, yeah they've just never fitted into anything and they've always been an easy target haven't they because of yeah, the nice. whole three chord thing and or just sort of, you know, Francis and Mick always doing their move and whatever. You know, they're, they're an easy target, but, you know, they, they've not ever taken it too badly, have they? Or maybe they have, but not to the extent they've thought. To my knowledge, they've never done anything with the press have moaned about us doing that, so we're going to do this. There's one time I think Francis and Mick didn't want to do interviews together because, you know, they were sort of seen as a bit of a double act, with, you know, the sort of Morecambe and Wise of Rock, which I get which you know, they were, and they still sort of up until Rick's passing, they, they certainly were. But besides that, I don't think they've ever, you know, sort of you know, gone away and sobbed at anything the press or the music critics have said about them.
0: No, pretty much just straight through. I mean, the other day I listened to the Steve Wright interview they did in 1989 with the acoustic oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. session in it, which is which is great fun. Um, you wonder yeah. what's going on. I mean, I haven't heard too much like peak Steve Wright, but I can imagine every show was was like that. It isn't just Rick and Francis. But the fact is, that is one of their low periods. And yet they're still being invited onto peak time, you know, national radio on one of the biggest radio stations in the country. And that that's pretty much what happened, you know, even during Don't Stop, which to fans, you know, isn't always highly regarded, mm. but... They're on national television. Number two you album. Know, Yeah, like, exactly. Huge thing. Anniversary Waltz has every opportunity to be slated, yet they're on top of the pops, you know, at half past seven with with the likes of all the dance acts that were around at that time, just absolutely defying <laughs> every convention.
1: They, yeah, they're, they're the definition of a sort of an enduring rock band because they have endured everything. Um, you know, and you... Even though you know the Stones were still releasing original albums in the '90s, but none of them were that big hits. I've got the, like the Bridges to Babylon and Voodoo Lounge. They're they're not bad albums, but there's no real sort of big hits or nothing that ever charted that much off it. You know, they're not. I'm not saying they're weak albums, but they're fine. And the same really could be said about Crow's albums. I don't think they were ever that dire, but they yeah they did kind of do well, with the exception of perhaps. It's perfect remedy and thirsty work. Anniversary Waltz did extremely well. Don't stop did phenomenally well. Yeah, that was that was a mega thing for quote. But they have just always been there, like you say on TV, every TV show, they've just always been there. And they've never been where they've never got certainly since the seventies, they've never got that massively big that they've got too arrogant or sort of like, you know, because the Rolling Stones asked them to go and mime to their new song, you know, they'd be like, no. Yeah, ask Elton to go and mime to his new song. i would be like, "Fuck off!" You know, like they're just not. I, I feel like a lot of those bigger acts wouldn't do that. But Quo, yeah. Oh, do you want to go? On, you know, can we get you on? You know, with Gloria Honeyford at three o'clock in the afternoon? You know, miming to a new song. They're like, "Yep." Yeah, they they just do it. And they, but that's how they've just always been, ever present. And even if the people enjoying their music haven't always been the Quo fans, that's fine. Know there may be other people who at the time bought Don't Stop and thought it was a great album. They may not have necessarily bought Quo album before, but it's because they saw Quo and the Beach Boys on Surprise, Surprise with Silla Black that they thought, Oh, we like that version of Fun, 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 we're going to buy the album. Then they may have really liked it. So it does, you know, know, Quo's sort of endurance is, you know, they is is very, very admirable because they have grafted, they have put the effort in. I don't think they've ever sat back and thought, we just let this ride. Yeah, see, just push the album over the edge and see what it does. I think Rick felt a little bit like that with Quo. and yeah, there's an interview where he says, you know, let's just let it slide away. You know, sort of peacefully, let it you know slide away. But besides from that, they've they've done everything they've needed to, and that's helped kept them in the public eye. There are bands that are so much bigger and so much more successful yeah like if, um but you, know, you wouldn't know the names like coldplay i couldn't name another member apart from chris martin yeah they've got they're the biggest band in the world you know they're um yeah they've got the biggest stadiums tour ever. same with like you know who else the depeche mode and um the cure all these i know there may be slightly more indie bands but they're not They're still not as well known or have the number of hits or have the recognizable front men. I know it's now it's just Francis, but, um, you know, when it was the partnership of Rossi Parfit, like, you know, no, no other band really has that besides from stones, Beatles queen. So that's where quo are in that elite. They are the household names for sure. I I can't remember what the question was or where we started off with this, but (laughs) you got me going on the roll.
0: (laughs) This is what happens in this podcast. This is why I love it, but uh, (laughs) we shall bring this to a close. What's next for you? What are you working on next? So
1: next, so I'm this weekend, I'm rehearsing with the Quo Experience. We have our first gig. Well, I have my first gig with them um, next weekend, next Saturday. So uh, that's in both. And I say next Saturday, 1st of July, depending on when this goes out, before or after. And then I've got one more gig with them in August. Uh, break the rules of playing a festival in August. Then we've got the Rock Till You Drop Day, end of August. Then we have another gig near Oxford, end of the year. Um, I'm not really working much on McVenture this year because I've been too busy and, yeah, not done a lot with it. But I still speak to Jay. I'm going up to that in October. And yeah that's about it really next year see what happens with break the rules gigs and yeah i don't really know i've not got anything too much in the in the pipeline really but of course when I, the rumors are out there that quo are doing a tour next year and they're doing the festivals they're just touring in the summer which i love i cannot wait to be back out at the festivals vlogging at the festival that's going to be good fun all the outdoor gigs i adore them and they're just it's nice to have i like the freedom i don't like the being stuck in a seat in a concert hall sort of thing i I like the field as as long as it's not chucking it down with rain but, but yeah so i'm looking forward to to that next year and more vlogging of course but but yeah all good times yeah i'm all about keeping the crow music and the legacy alive in any way possible
0: we'll do some more vlogging anyway because uh well you know the first time i i saw that was like wow this is really well done really gives a sense of the day and actually made me step up. My game was like, Hey, I need to get into this video thing because your editing on those things are, is impeccable.
1: Oh, it's kind of, you to say I am, yeah, I started digital marketing a bit. Yeah. I'd done lots of video editing from, for work. So I sort of knew how to do it, but I just wanted yeah, it wasn't about filming quo and whatever and getting people to look how good they are. Like it was about, yeah, you know, people, all my co- work colleagues, former work colleagues, and friends back home, family, yeah, you know, they they don't know what I do when I go off and see Quo. They, they might see the odd Instagram story or Facebook post. They don't really know what I get up to. So I wanted to show them how much fun we actually have, and like, you know, I'm always on about all these people you know Ben, Dan, Adam, Lewis, and you know, my mum's like has no idea who they are. And so it's sort of more. Yeah, these are all like my best mates, and like we go out and have the most amazing time, you know, in all the bars before Quo, we all gravitate towards, you know, wherever Quo are playing. All the Quo fans meet up, and we all have a great laugh together. And then we go in, enjoy the gig, and then go back to the pub afterwards. It's that whole, yeah, it's trying to really convey what the the Quo fan community is about, and I think. I think I did an okay job at getting that cross in, in the vlog. So that was my aim more than anything, but, um, no, I enjoyed making them and I look forward to making more when, when, you know, the the good times happen.
0: Well, I, I know that when you did the convention, you stopped about halfway through and I can completely understand that because I started doing that and then was like, no, do you know what? I'm, I'm just going to enjoy this. And from yeah, what I could see, okay. you were enjoying it. So, you know.
1: Yeah. What were you doing? Were you doing a bit of recording there for the podcasts?
0: A little bit. Yeah, I, I did some interviews. And initially, I was going to do, like you, basically in audio form. Um, mm. You know, I recorded in the car on the way to the train station and stuff like that. Ah, okay, and then I, was yeah. like, I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, yeah. It just just didn't pan out because you you end up, you know, getting caught up in the atmosphere yeah of those
1: totally. yeah once you, you just sort of get there and yeah i did a bit yeah you watch the vlog i did bits and then it it is hard work to capture it all you know last year i did five well i did seven quo gigs overall five on the first tour, two on the last and i only vlogged three of them because that's all i could be bothered to do <laughs> like i just wanted to enjoy the other gigs you know it's it's so i shouldn't make out that it's hard work it's not hard work but You just want to enjoy your event. Like, you really do need to soak it in. As much as the vlogs are great to look back on, um, oh, didn't we have a great time? I'm can. i fortunate that I can remember that I had a great time. Maybe a little bit intoxicated with alcohol, but I can still remember it well enough that I know I had a good time. I don't need a vlog sat there on YouTube to tell me that I had a good time. Or the great people I was with. We we can all remember it. Just... (laughs)
0: Well, keep on quoting and, um, you too. Yeah. Thank you very much, Aiden, for appearing on the podcast today. Please do come back.
1: Oh, I'd love to, Jamie. Thank you. And thank you for running the podcast as well. It's
0: great.